Welcome, everybody. Center of Attention, Center of Attention Podcast. Be sure to follow on Twitter at COAPod73. Follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Pilato. Um, if you follow those two pages, you know about the tweet I put out yesterday saying if you have a topic that you want me to uh, talk about, then just either reply to the tweet or tweet at me specifically or the podcast page because I see both of those. Um, and I'll try and get to your topic. Got a couple of those today. Only a few people responded, which makes sense. It was a last-minute thing. Not that I'm running out of things to talk about, but I'm running out of things to talk about. Well, I guess in certain parts of my life. In other parts of my life, I have a lot to say, but I probably shouldn't say all I want to. Um, And I guess that's where we'll start. So if you listen to the podcast Monday, I played the present that I made for Lauren. I had talked about that it was our year-long anniversary. It was my first relationship that had been over a year long. And uh, the date after that podcast went great. It was raining pretty hard, but I made do with what I could. And we had a little picnic in the back of my car with blankets and everything put down. And I thought that everything was going well. And um, then Tuesday came and we had a pretty big fight. And my family and I sat down and talked. And I realized that I was turning into somebody that I didn't enjoy. Because I would I had let things get to a point where I was starting to snap back and not be me. And be a little bit mean. Um, I'm not saying that it's one person or the other's fault. I feel like we both have a lot of blame in the situation. But it was also at the point where it was just time for us to break up um got didn't get taken as well as i thought it would but it's a tough situation obviously we did care a lot about each other or we we had something that we both wanted to be with each other but just wasn't meant to work out so that's kind of also why this podcast is coming out a little bit later than it normally does. I uh, didn't decided not to um, record one last night because it was a pretty pretty rough situation. I didn't feel like talking, so I just kind of hung out with everybody. And then uh, um, after that, I, I just went to bed. I didn't feel like I said I didn't feel like doing anything after that. So that's why this is coming out a little bit later. Um, looks like we're on the last legs of this quarantine the last at least the last legs of the first half of this quarantine i saw yesterday that gunnison has reopened fully so everybody going down there is is no longer breaking any of the regulations or the orders that have been put in place so that's that's a cool cool thing and i'm glad that western has been doing that that's uh i think that's the right thing for them to do they're a huge tourist based economy so it was kind of you could have seen it coming if you were looking in the right places, but I think a lot of people were still surprised when it did open up fully right away. Uh, where I'm at in the metro area, it isn't completely open yet, but there are some things starting to pop up. We can go to restaurants for pickup now. It's not just fast food anymore, um, and hopefully we start to get the, to the point where we can have at least some capacity in the restaurants eating at a time. Um, and the malls, I think, are also being talked about opening back up. My boss, I, I did start the produce job. I got the produce job that I was talking about a couple weeks ago. And my boss was saying that he went to Castle Rock to the Nike outlets. And the outlets m- malls are completely open. And that was huge because that's kind of, I mean, it's obviously it's an outdoor mall. And you walk around and you're not in a confined space with a ton of other people. 
but it still has a lot of foot traffic and since it's one of the only things that are open I'm sure that it would be pretty packed based on um, the stuff that the, the just because the beaches are packed way longer than they normally are this is this is going to be happening so the, I'm sure that the uh, the malls will be packed as well that's pretty much all I want to say about the breakup and the stuff going on currently. I feel like everybody's been talking about the virus, me included. I'm not saying that I'm exempt from that. But I feel like there's some other things that we could talk about. I finished The Last Dance. Um, and then I'm also going to get to the topics that came through when I asked what what kind of topics you would want me to talk about. So, without further ado, we'll get in, I'll start with the last dance and then I'll get to the uh, listener question. So the last dance, finished it, I know I was a week behind everything, um, but I watched episode 9 and 10 on Tuesday um, by myself. I don't think anybody else in my house watched it, but I think it lived up to the, the hype, it was... I thought it was going to be kind of difficult to put an ending on this one, but um, it wasn't as difficult as I probably thought it was going to be. They did talk a lot about the challenges that this the last Bulls team faced, and that was one of the other interesting things that I thought about the documentary. I wasn't sure how they were going to do it. I mean, six championships in eight years, there's a lot to talk about. But I liked the way that they spread it out. So the first two episodes were basically about Jordan's early life, and then the first episode was Jordan's early life up until he got with the Bulls. And then when he was the star of the Bulls in the 80s without the big team around him. Then the second episode was more about Scotty and his story. Third was Rodman. Fourth was Phil Jackson. And then they got into the early years. So they went through four episodes before they even got to the Bulls winning one of their NBA championships. And sprinkled out through that was the 96, 97, uh, 96, 97, or 98, 90. Nine when or ninety-seven ninety-eight. Last I'm recording this from the basement again, so I'm not on a as stable as of a surface as I was the other night. It's also why you can probably hear the water running because I'm right next to the water heater and we still have people showering after workouts. When was the last time the Bulls won a championship? Ninety-eight. So the ninety-seven, ninety-eight season, they had that sprinkled out throughout the rest of the story. But then, you know, they when they first started winning championships, they talked about the hunger of the early team, but also the the mental and physical toll that it had taken on Jordan. Because during this entire time, he was the number one athlete in the world. There wasn't really a close second, and it was definitely Michael Jordan. Even though the NBA wasn't as popular as say some of the other sports in the country, just because it was more of a worldwide sport. So when they go to France or they go to China or they go to the Olympics, everybody knows who Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls are. So he was very, very, um, very, very famous in that sense. He did. Uh, 
So the, they go through the first four episodes, establish the main four characters that they're going to be kind of going back and forth to. Horace Grant pops in and out as he was on the first three-peat teams um, and then left after Jordan left. He left a season after Jordan retired the first time and he went to Orlando and they talk about how the Magic beat Jordan's Bulls in the Eastern Conference Finals when he was trying to come back from baseball. So the, it, there was a lot more than just talking about the last season or just the championships. They tried to humanize everybody, I think. Um, and I was listening to Chris Long on Busting with the Boys. I know that was from a couple weeks ago, but uh, shout out to the boys for their podcast. It's one of my favorites to listen to, especially when they have a guest on like that. Um, Chris Long is speaks his mind, and I think that he has a pretty cool perspective on all of this because he is the son of an NFL Hall of Famer. And he's also a two-time Super Bowl champion as well. His younger brother was a perennial All-Pro guard in the league. So he has a lot of perspectives on the professional sports type scene. And that was a, his perspective on it was this was a Jordan documentary, obviously. If you want to talk about somebody who protected their brand that they created better than anybody else in the history of the world, probably Michael Jordan. And maybe I would say Bill Gates because those are the only two that I can think of that still have the same fortune that they amassed originally. They never really lost everything that they had. Um, so obviously the story was going to be told through the lens of Michael. But I think that for as much of a tug job as this was for himself, I think that the filmmakers did sprinkle in some of the other aspects of his life and why he was the way that he was, how he became as successful as he became. Because there was a lot of times where you started not to root for Jordan and you were starting to root for the other people. I mean, the guy punched two of his teammates in the face, and while I am a supporter of leadership that way, and I think that in certain situations that could be a warranted thing to do, you're challenging somebody, you think that they can, they can do better, so you try and push them to get them the best out of that. And in that high competitive of situation, being on the best basketball team for the past decade in the world, and you see a guy either loafing or not doing well, doing something in practice that you guys had talked about, it'd be very difficult. And I think if anybody had an ounce of the competitiveness that Michael Jordan had, they would probably do the same thing where they just haul off and punch one of their teammates. Now, I'm not saying that it's the right thing. I'm just saying that I could see a situation where I could probably do that if I felt it necessary. And I'm sure that there's a lot of people out there talking about how they probably would do that as well. And that was Chris Long's thing is that, yes, Jordan was super competitive. Um, but there's a lot of other really competitive teams or really competitive athletes in every sport that plays at a professional level. So there's... It's interesting to watch because it's Michael Jordan. He's one of the most naturally gifted players of all time. But it's not as much of an outlier as people would think. He, uh, I mean, even my thing is is that he's a great player, probably one of the greatest of all time. I said one of the greatest of all time, not the greatest. Because he never won without a great team around him. I mean, that's something I think LeBron has over him, is that Cavs team that came back from 3-1 to beat the Warriors was nowhere near as talented as any of the teams Jordan ever won with. Um, other Outside of J.R. Smith, maybe Kevin Love. Kevin Love was fading at that time. There's really They have three players that could possibly be all-stars. Those 
Bulls teams both three-peat times. So the first three-peat they had Bill Paxson, who's a great point guard. They had Winnington, who was a presence down low. They had Horace Grant, who was a defensive presence and a rebounding master, could also score a little bit. Scotty, obviously, if Jordan never plays in the NBA, I think Scotty goes down as the greatest player, one of the best one of the best scorers, and then he was also a very good defensive player. And then Michael Jordan. And I can't say that there was anything, you know, less on the second three P team. They had Michael, obviously, Scotty still. Um, instead of Horace Grant, they replaced him with Dennis Rodman, who lost something on the offensive end of the floor, but made up for it with the defensive play, the mind games that he had, the rebounding. Um, then you had Steve Kerr, Tony Kukoc. Kukoc could shoot, man. I mean, for a big European white guy, he he could drain some drain some shots, and it was not always the easiest looks that he would get. But he, he could score, and uh, Steve Kerr, one of those guys that just worked his way to being one of the greatest three-point shooters of all time. It makes sense why his team now has possibly two of the other greatest three-point shooters of all time in Klay Thompson and Steph Curry. So I would say that Jordan always had the best team around him, and that would be why he won as many times as he did. LeBron is impressive because he takes very, very bad teams, just like Jordan used to do in the early parts of his career, but he takes them to the finals and then possibly wins finals with them as well. Didn't do it with the original Cavs, but was able to after he came back from Miami, and that 3-1 team was not very good. That team that fell 3-1 to one to the Warriors, and we saw it the next year when uh, LeBron gets the rebound, passes it to JR, and JR thinks that they're in the lead or tied or something, had time to dribble it out and just doesn't score. So I, that's where I think LeBron has the upper hand in, in that debate. But then you also have um, guys from the earlier eras, guys from the era now, it really comes down to which style of play you favor the most. I tend to favor the 90s basketball era. That's one of the other things that I learned from this documentary was I really wish that I was able to see some of those teams back in the 90s play. The Bad Boy Pistons, the Bulls, the Magic when they had Shaq, Penny Hardaway, and Horace Grant. Um, even the Pacers and, and then the Jazz. The Jazz were a lot better than I ever really realized I guess with Stockton and Carl Malone um, I, they had another really good defender but I can't think of his name so overall I think that this was a, this did better numbers than I think they were expecting well I don't know if it was better than they were expecting because the original plan for this to come out was that it was supposed to be released on the day's of an, and the NBA playoffs. So the Eastern Conference Finals and then the Finals, they would be releasing an episode after those games. So they would still probably have been pulling similar ratings, maybe even a little bit more, because people would be watching the game and then want to watch Jordan's documentary afterwards. But since this was basically the only thing on live TV that involved sports for a while, um, especially the early episodes, I think that this probably did better numbers than they could have hoped for given the current situation. ESPN has been one of the better stations about trying to make sure that the ratings and the views stay up on all of their stuff. Um, but I think this helped them a lot. I also really enjoyed seeing the psychology behind different players. Um, Dennis Rodman, though he was weird, though he was eccentric, though he probably 
you know, didn't do the right things always off the court, obviously. In the one of the last episodes, they talk about him going and being with Hulk Hogan and on Monday WCW Monday Nitro instead of being at practice while they're playing in the NBA Finals against the Jazz. But he was a hard worker, always in shape, always ready to play, and, and he brought a mental edge to the game as well. He got in Karl Malone's head in that last series that they won the championship with. They were just battling back and forth. Um, and it wasn't that he couldn't score. He just didn't care about scoring. And that was good for that team because he didn't have an ego to score. MJ obviously had an ego to score. Pippen wanted to score. Uh, Kukoc was a better shooter than Rodman, so it was easy to pass up the ball to him. That That's one of the better things that I've learned about this. Um, and then also seeing some of the other sides of, of Michael because they didn't really shy away from a lot of the bad that he did. They talk about his gambling. I don't know if that's necessarily as bad a thing as people were making it out to be, but they did mention that he had a little bit of a gambling issue. Um, they went more into in depth on his baseball career, and if that strike hadn't happened in the MLB, he probably never comes back and does the second three-peat. But when that happened and he was just sitting around bored, realized that he'd still play basketball, that's when he decided to come back. But he did bet like 290, I think, in the minors. And if you give him a couple more years, because a lot of those guys just play baseball nonstop since they're five years old or whatever, um, he probably could have developed himself into a pretty decent MLB player. I don't see him being a great MLB player, but he definitely had the work ethic. He had the natural talent. He'd played the game before. Uh, I could see him being more like a Deion Sanders where he plays football and is one of the best football players at his position of all time. And then just does baseball and is just a really good baseball player. So I could have seen that happening for him. That was something I didn't know. I thought Jordan, <laughs> if you watch Space Jam, it looks like Jordan is the worst baseball player of all time and that he should have never left basketball or anything like that. Blame me for getting my information from Space Jam, I guess. The Looney Tunes must not be incredibly sports-accurate, sports-minded, but uh, it was cool to see that side of Jordan's career and then coming back and becoming the only one of the the only team at the time to go three-peat and then back-to-back three-peats was insane um the bob costas you know bob costas stuff in the last few games was very very good um makes me want to get back out there and live broadcast again but uh, overall i think that it was a great documentary i highly recommend it it's on the ESPN app on demand, and I think it's going to be on Netflix at some point. But it's definitely worth the watch, even if you're not a huge basketball fan. Because like I say all the time, I call basketball and I learn basketball so that I can broadcast it. I'm not a huge basketball fan. It's not my favorite thing to just sit down and watch. I like watching March Madness. I'll watch the finals, both conference and um, league finals. But if I had to pick to just sit down and watch a sport, I would probably be it probably be my fourth pick behind football hockey um and then UFC probably tied with baseball at the fourth pick to watch but those are my those, those are my final thoughts on the last dance I think that like I said it's a great documentary please check it out if you haven't already 
<clears throat> Where do we want to go next? I guess we can get into the Twitter questions. So, Rev Coca, I've mentioned him before. If you listen to my radio show, you know plenty about what he's doing um, or what his thoughts on sports are and where his knowledge comes from. He's one of the smartest people I know of in UFC. He also knows a lot about football and basketball. He knows way more about basketball than I do. But he replied to the tweet that I put out yesterday through the center of attention Twitter, and then I retweeted it on my own Twitter as well. Let's get to his response. Let's see. So I, I said... Ask whatever question that you would want. Be sure to reply to this tweet at this account or at Jimmy Pilato and tell us what you want the topics to be on tomorrow's podcast episode. He came back with two fairly quickly. So shout out to Rev. Follow him at Rev Coca. He's writing for BushLeagueSports.com and uh, trying to get into sports media as well. He wanted me to talk about when I think Cam Newton will get signed. I'll put a win and if Cam Newton will get signed. And then he also put, does Tyron Woodley have another run in him at 38 years old? So we'll start with the Cam Newton debate because I think that's one of the more interesting debates in the current sporting climate. It's probably just because I'm a football guy, but what you see is what you get. And I've been very upfront about that. NFL teams in need of a quarter. All right. Let's just start by going through Cam Newton's stats. So he came in the league in 2011. What is Was selected to the Pro Bowl that year. Set the rookie record for rushing touchdowns. Um, and then also was just had a very productive year. The team wasn't great around him. I believe he was the second overall pick, so that makes sense. They went six and ten that year. Following year doesn't get selected to the Pro Bowl, but they go seven and nine. Doesn't throw for as many yards or as many touchdowns. Throws a few interceptions though, and he's still running, running the ball all over the place. Twenty thirteen goes back to the Pro Bowl. Team goes twelve and four, make a little bit of a playoff run. He throws twenty four touchdowns and thirteen interceptions. Twenty fifteen, obviously the year that. A lot of people remember he was the MVP, selected to his first All-Pro team, and was also a Pro Bowler that year. They go 15-1, and dominate everybody up until the Super Bowl, and then the Broncos' defense completely dismantles him, makes it look like he didn't really care about whether or not he wanted to win. Um, and if you're gonna, if you're a Panthers fan and you're mad at me about saying that, go back and watch the first time that Von Miller strip sacks him and see if he dives for that ball. And I guarantee you that you'll see exactly what everybody else saw during that game where he makes a business decision, doesn't dive on the ball, gets knocked into the end zone, and Malik Jackson scores a touchdown. That kind of sets the tone for the rest of the game. After that, 2016, when his injuries started to happen, um, starting to learn that he can't just run around in the NFL because these guys know how to hit two. 6-8 record after that. They fall from grace. Only throws 19 touchdowns and 14 interceptions. 3,500 yards. Not great. Not great at all. 2017, 11-5 record for the team. I believe that's when Christian McCaffrey 
join them. I'm gonna look that up real quick. Christian McCaffrey was drafted in 2017. So the team gets a little bit better. Newton throws 22 touchdowns, 16 interceptions. 3,300 yards, obviously carried by his running back. Doesn't finish the next two years. Panthers go 6-8, and eight, and then he only gets to play in two games. So overall in his career, he's played 125 games. He's 68-55-1 and one in those 125 games. Started 124 of, of the games that he played in. So that's not a great stat line. It's not a bad stat line, not a great stat line. It's more of a, a middle-of-the-road kind of stat line, I, I would say. Now, NFL.com, according to Adam Sheen, teams that need a new quarterback. Number one, the Chicago Bears. This could be something that I actually wouldn't mind seeing. When did this? This came out in December of 2019. Let's see if I can find something a little bit more recent. Ah, here we go. March 11. All 32 teams, QB situations ahead of free agency in the draft. So this was before the draft and free agency. If, if you want me to predict whether or not I think Cam Newton gets signed somewhere, I think that he will. I don't think that he's going to have to wait until the season starts. Um... I think that he's too high profile, has too much experience to not be picked up somewhere. Where that is, is anybody's guess at this point. Maybe Baltimore. Maybe. They already have RG3, who they like as a backup to Lamar Jackson. And even though Cam runs a lot, his injuries are a problem. He doesn't run the same way that Lamar does. He's more of a power guy. And that's not the way that that offense really runs with their quarterback. The Bengals obviously could use a experienced guy, possibly give Joe Burrow some time to sit behind, or as more of a contingency plan in case Burrow gets hurt or loses confidence in a game. I would say when I think about the Bengals quarterback situation and the fact that Andy Dalton is now no longer with the team, so there's not really that leadership aspect because the only other quarterback on the team right now is Ryan Finley. My problem with Newton there is that he's not necessarily the smartest guy. He doesn't go through his reads very well. So if you want to bring in a guy who's going to be a mentor, you probably bring in more of a Josh McCown than a Cam Newton. You don't want to bring in a guy who doesn't play the same way or the same style that the quarterback that you drafted to be your guy for the next 10 years plays. So that coupled along with the fact that I don't know if he knows defenses as well as he probably should at being an NFL quarterback, I would say that the Bengals definitely not a place for him to land. The Chargers, I could possibly see this, even though they just picked up Herbert. Tyrod Taylor will be the starter at the beginning of the season. And if you listen to the draft episode after this, I said that um, I give Tyrod about six games. And depending on how those six games go, if it's anything less than maybe... Four and two, or three and three, then you're going to start seeing Justin Herbert play for the Chargers just because they need to do something to spark interest in that team as they've been playing 16 road games in the StubHub Center the last couple of years. 
where there's more opposing team fans than Charger fans. The Dolphins, I would probably say no. Ryan Fitzpatrick is back, and he's going to be the starter for the beginning of the season. Josh Rosen, definitely not going to see any time there. Tua just got drafted. They're going to try and ease him into things, I think. Um, But that team really started to play well last year towards the end of the season. Brian Flores, I thought, was going to be one of the best coaches that have come out of that Belichick coaching tree in the NFL. I thought that he had a good chance to be the most successful of his of Belichick's successors. So I still think that I think that they're confident in their quarterback situation um, and they're going to hopefully get to a healthy enough so that he can play at some point during the season unless Fitzpatrick goes on a huge run. It's also got to think about it's the AFC East and it's the AFC East for the first time in 20 years that Tom Brady isn't in New England. So that that's going to be something to look to when you think about the Miami Dolphins, the Buffalo Bills, the New York Jets, um, is that they're not having to deal with the greatest quarterback of all time anymore. So that division opens up a lot now that he's no longer there. Obviously, this was written before Newton got Newton left, but the Newton's Newton's health was a bad was one of the main reasons why. He ended up leaving. They didn't draft a quarterback in the first round after Cam Newton left. And Matt Rule, I don't like his first couple decisions, but he has Will Greer and Kyle Allen. So, Kyle Allen's probably going to be the starter there, and then Will Greer will be the backup. I think they're going to have to do something else in the quarterback room, but it wasn't signing, re-signing um, Cam Newton. The Jaguars are one of my interesting teams for this upcoming season, especially for the Cam Newton sweepstakes, because they have Gardner Minshew, but they kind of proved that they didn't necessarily have total confidence in him. Even though they let Nick Foles go, I think that was more of a money issue. The Jaguars are in in shambles at this point, losing their two best cornerbacks past couple years, lost Calais Campbell after the 2015 AFC Championship year. Um... 2016 AFC Championship year. I could see him possibly going in there, but I don't think that he'd want to back up Minshew, and everything that they've done up until this point has proven that they kind of think that Minshew could be their guy of the future, or at least that's the way that they want to go for the beginning of the season. I don't think that you bring in a 30-year-old quarterback who's been a starter his whole career into that situation. Tampa Bay, I don't think this is where he's going to go. They just signed Jameis Winston. They Actually, they didn't sign Jameis Winston, even though he had that 30, 30 and 30 season last year. Tom Brady is now the quarterback there. Could be looking for a backup, but like I said with the Bengals, you don't normally pick up a backup quarterback in free agency who doesn't play the same style as your main guy. So I don't think that that is a possibility. Tennessee, they just re-signed Tannehill. Marcus Mariota is no longer there. That This could be an interesting place for him to go. He'd get back have a little bit more of a supporting cast, have a running back that can carry him a little bit with Derrick Henry, an offensive line that can protect him, and they have some weapons. A.J. Brown last year came onto the scene, was a very explosive offensive rookie. The Titans could be in the sweepstakes. If I was going to go out on a limb and say that this is where he's going to go, I could possibly see him getting picked up by Tennessee 
going into training camp after the OTA period and after I think the league decides where, when and where teams are going to be able to come back. Once there's a little bit more of a plan in, plan in place, I think that we'll start to see these bigger name free agents that haven't been signed yet. The Browns. The Browns, the Browns, the Browns. Not a whole bunch of good things I can say about the Browns. Hopefully this coach is a lot smarter than Freddie Kitchens was last year. I don't know. People are still doubting Baker Mayfield. I think that he's proven that he could be a starting quarterback. He just needs a good foundation around him. That, and that foundation includes a coach who's not going to put him in bad situations. Bad situations being, let's pass with five offensive linemen and protection and everybody else out in the route, even though we know our offensive line isn't good enough to do that. So I don't think that the Browns are necessarily in the quarterback sweepstakes yet. I think that they're trying to keep some continuity at that position. Because, let's see, this is this is always a fun stat to look up. How many quarterbacks have the Browns had since they came Thirty different quarterbacks since 1999. That's basically a quarterback every season. So they're. I think that they're trying to keep some sort of continuity, make sure that fan base doesn't completely burn down. Broncos. They're going with Drew Locke. Um, it's an interesting scenario because Elway loves big quarterbacks. They did. I mean, they drafted Paxton Lynch in the first round a couple of years ago. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that Newton could go there. I don't know. They already did such a bad job last year of handling the quarterback situation, and Drew Locke really didn't appreciate some of the comments Flacco made at the beginning of the year as to whether or not he was going to come in and mentor him. So I think that they're going to be sticking with Drew Locke this season. They went and got, got him some weapons, didn't get anybody to protect him, so we'll see how often he, how much fun he has getting up off his back because I think that he's going to be there, but... In five games, he did have a thousand over a thousand yards, a seven to three touchdown interception ratio. I think it gave Elway some hope, and apparently Drew Locke was a guy that they wanted the entire time in last year's draft, two years ago's draft. So the Jets with Darnold, I don't know. I don't think that it's a good place for him to be going at this point. I think they drafted a quarterback in the fourth round. Dom and I talked about that. So they have a contingency plan there. I think this is also not a make-or-break year for Sam Darnold. I think that comes next year since he is on the rookie contract. So they have the ability to hold on to him for at least three more years if they want to, if they choose to pick up the fifth-year option before they have to re-sign him. Redskins could be. I mean, they have a good offensive line. They did just lose Trent Williams. Um, Dwayne Haskins kind of showed that he probably wasn't able to play, but that's not necessarily all his fault. Um, I played with Dwayne Haskins back in USA football, and I know that Dwayne really loves the game, and he's going to do everything that he can to get better. I think the problem was that when Alex Smith went down last year and they had Keenum, and Keenum wasn't playing the way that they wanted him to, it kind of forced Haskins into an early situation, and Haskins wasn't one of those quarterbacks where he could have just came right out of the draft and started playing well. Um, 
it was an unfortunate situation, and it'll be interesting to see now what happens in this upcoming season. I think that's where a lot of people are looking towards now. But it wouldn't be a bad idea, I think, for the Redskins to add a little bit of depth, and it's a guy who, um, if he stays healthy, can be very dangerous both on the ground and through the air. So Redskins could be a possibility, I think, where Cam Newton ends up going. Chicago Bears are an interesting idea for me. I think that they need to have somebody there who has the ability to push Trubisky for that starting position. Right now, the only other quarterback they have on the roster is Chase Daniel, and I have no, never really even heard of Chase Daniel. Chase Daniel stats. Hmm. Been playing for a long time. He's always been kind of a journeyman. He's a backup in the Saints for 2010 through 2012. Then the Chiefs, 2013 to 2014, played a season with the Eagles, went back to the Saints for a season, then has been the backup for the Bears for the last couple of years. Um, if I were to go, if I were to be Cam Newton's agent, I would say go to Chicago for sure because they know it's very evident that they don't trust Trubisky like they thought they were going to. So there's if you're going to have the best opportunity to get on the field as a backup, Chicago has given him that best opportunity. And if nothing else, it pushes Trubisky to become the quarterback that everybody wanted him to be when they drafted him. So that could help out the Bears in the long run anyways. The Colts. Hmm. Just picked up Phillip Rivers, who did not have a very good year last year. This is also another interesting place for him to go to me, I think. Um, I don't know. I think the Colts are more focused on making sure their running game, their defense, and their offensive line stays strong. I don't know if they want to have a quarterback come in and, and be worth as much money as Cam Newton's probably going to be getting. They have Jacoby Brissett behind Phillip Rivers, so they don't really need depth. As long as Brissett can stay healthy. The Colts were a very good team last year when Brissett was healthy, before he got injured. After that, they had Brian Hoyer behind him kind of went downhill and then when Brissett came back it was just a lost cause at that point they were a team that played down to the level of their competition instead of trying to always play their best football they would just play as good as their opponent would um, it was a, it was a tough situation for Brissett to be in though last year losing a Hall of Fame quarterback in an unexpected situation where he announced retirement after the second week of the preseason so Brissett goes through the first two weeks of the preseason thinking that he was just going to be the backup again to Andrew Luck, and then all of a sudden he's the guy, he's the marquee starter for that franchise. I think this is going to be a good year for him to get back in his groove, and then we'll see if Phillip Rivers can bounce back. Maybe it was just being stale in Los Angeles with the Chargers. Um, but last year he, needed, he needs, 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 needs to be better. Otherwise, I think this is his last year. Raiders have Derek Carr. I don't think that Cam Newton's really the quarterback Mayock or Gruden like, so I'm not going to say anything about them. I don't think he's going there. I don't think he's going to the 49ers. The Rams could be interesting because Sean McVay likes to try and do out there things to show that he's a smarter coach than a lot of people. So maybe this is a situation where he brings in a guy and then, you know, the Rams did pay Jared Goff, so I don't know if they're going to be trying to push him. 
but without having Todd Gurley anymore, they could use another threat on the ground. I'm not saying that they're going to bring Cam Newton in to be a running back, but if he's in the game, you at least know that he has that ability way more than Jared Goff does. The Eagles, I like. I think that that could be a good situation where he's backing up Carson Wentz. The only problem that I see with that is and then you have two very injury-prone quarterbacks. Carson Wentz hasn't been able to go through an entire season since his first year, and uh, Cam, especially in the last few seasons, they uh, they don't really mix that well. I don't know if you bring in two tin men that it makes your team any better. Uh, the Cowboys, the Cowboys are dumb because they need to sign Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott has been the best quarterback in that division for the past three years. Um, ever since he came into the league, really. He's only thrown for less than 3,500 yards once. And they, if they were smart, they would sign him now so that they didn't have to pay him more than Patrick Mahomes. The way the market works is that once a new guy resets the market, everybody else, no matter if they're better or worse, gets more than that guy does per year. $45 million would be a steal for what they're going to have to pay to keep him around after Mahomes gets his new contract. <laughs> The only problem that I see with any of these scenarios is that I don't think Cam thinks that he's bad enough that he has to be a backup. I think that he still thinks he's going to be a starter and still has the ability to play at a high level as a starter, even though the last few years point to the contrary. I don't think he's going to go to the Patriots. Not really their style of play. They like Jared Stidham. I think they're going to see what they have with Jared Stidham. Then depending on how the season goes, maybe they make a move for a quarterback next year, but not drafting a quarterback this year, I think, shows that they're ready to go in with the former Auburn Tiger way more than they are to bring in a, a veteran who um, doesn't fit their system. New Orleans has way too many quarterbacks right now. They, they don't have Teddy Bridgewater, but they signed Jameis. They still have Taysom Hill. Um, and then Drew Brees in the twilight of, of his career, I think they're grooming. They're going to see what happens with Jameis with his fixed eyesight and see what happens um, if he they can fix Sean Payton can fix his decision making skills, and, and we'll see because he's a very explosive guy. I mean, threw 30 touchdowns last year. It just so happened to be coupled with 30 interceptions. Taysom Hill, I a lot of people like to say that he's the heir apparent for the New Orleans Saints. People say that Sean Payton loves him. I don't think he's the heir apparent for anybody. Taysom Hill, if he was gonna be the quarterback once Drew Brees is done, he would have gone in instead of Teddy Bridgewater last year. Also have to deal with the fact that he's only been playing in the league for like three or four years, but he's already 29, going to turn 30. And that's due to his mission trip that he went on after college. So uh, that's a, that, that could be a situation where I see that working, stay in the same division as the Panthers. Um, then you basically have the Panthers and Saints flip-flop quarterbacks. Teddy Bridgewater is the quarterback of the Panthers. I thought I forgot about that when I was talking about whether or not he'd go there. And then the last, you know, Pittsburgh. I'd like to see him go to Pittsburgh because I think that makes him a lot worse. That defense is good enough, though, that they they could withstand having Newton not be 100% or as good as he was back in 2015 and still win games. They just need a game manager, and I think that's what Roethlisberger is going to come back and be. Um, they went 8-8 eight and eight last year with Devlin, Doc Hodges, and Mason Rudolph, so... There's a, they're very talented. They have a good skeleton of a roster. They just need a game manager to make sure that their offense can score more than the points that they were putting up last year, and they'll be way better than I think a lot of people are giving them credit. 
Arizona's all in on Kyler Murray. No, no way he's going to be going there. Maybe as a backup, but like I said, Cam Newton, I don't think sees himself as a backup. I could see him backing up Josh Allen because everybody knows what the way Josh Allen plays. It could possibly lead to a lot of injuries, so that might be a good contingency plan for them. And now, Vikings, they're in for, with Kirk Cousins. Giants are in with Daniel Jones. Falcons love Matt Ryan. The Ravens love Mar- or Lamar Jackson. They have a backup already with RG3. The Packers just drafted a quarterback with Jordan Love in the first round to replace Rodgers, so they're not looking for his heir apparent anymore. Texans, who knows what the Texans are going to do. Bill O'Brien's the dumbest GM in football. He should just stick to coaching because he got rid of DeAndre Hopkins for uh, David Johnson. David Johnson hasn't been good since his rookie year. I think Deshaun Watson should be the quarterback for the Texans moving forward, but who knows what's going to happen with Bill O'Brien. Kansas City, obviously not looking for anybody. Maybe go and back up Russell Wilson. I think that could be the only situation where he'd be fine with being a backup is in Seattle because he knows Russell Wilson plays the way that he plays and who wouldn't want to play for a guy like um, Pete Carroll. So that's where I think Cam Newton could go. I think Seahawks probably the number one pick for him if he had a choice. Um, Jaguars and then, who else did I say? Jaguars, Bills and Eagles are kind of my predictions as to where I see him going. Again, I don't think he's going to get signed. And that was the original question that Rev posed is when I think he's going to get signed. I don't think he gets signed until they are uh, in a better situation with where the league is going to go. Once the league figures out what they're going to do with everybody and how they're going to get the league or the season started, then I think he gets picked up by somebody as a little bit of depth at that position. But I don't think he's a not a starter anymore, even though he might still think he is. And there's a, not as many teams as people thought. Um, excuse me. There's not as many pe- teams in need of a quarterback as people thought when this whole thing first started. Moving on to Riv's second question from Twitter. Does Tyron Woodley still have another run in him at 38 years old? My initial knee-jerk reaction is no. And that's for a couple reasons. One, he's been fighting for a long time. His record overall as a professional, though it's not as many as a lot of guys, 19-4-1. So he's had 24 fights. He's 38 years old, cutting down to 170. He's been cutting weight his whole life because he was a wrestler all the way through college before he started fighting. He had a great run of fights, though. Go back. So, before this last loss to Kamaru Usman, the only other time he lost was a split decision to Jake Shields back in 2013. After that, KO's Josh Koscheck, KO's Carlos Condit. Actually, he lost to Roy McDonald unanimous decision. So... Since we'll, we'll just go since 2013 because I say that's when his last run was. KO's Josh Koscheck, Koscheck, KO's Carlos Condit, loses to Roy McDonald in a unanimous decision. KO's Dong Hyun Kim, split decision over Kelvin Gastelum. KO's Robbie Lawler to win the title, has a draw with Stephen Thompson, 
beats Stephen Thompson in a majority decision, beats Damian Maya in a unanimous decision. He had he was able to uh, get out from having Damian Maya get your back. And if you know anything about the UFC, Damian Maya is the number one jujitsu guy I think in the UFC, just pure jujitsu wise. And he was able to get him off of his back and then come back and win a unanimous decision. Um, and then Darce choked Darren Till. Darren Till was kind of the guy that the UFC was trying to groom to replace the hole that Michael Bisping left in the UK market. But he was able to overcome that. But then you get the last fight that he had against Kamara Usman. And he loses in a five-round unanimous decision to... Kamaru Usman, who's still the current 170-pound champ. And when you watch that fight back, I mean, if there was a other, if there was a worse way to describe the method of victory where neither person got finished, that's what that was. It wasn't a unanimous decision where uh, the other guy still put up a good fight. Who knows what was going on? There had to be something else going on in Tyron Woodley's head just because he didn't look like the same fighter that he had been his entire career but it was it was just a bad decision loss for him and it was one where he got dominated who who knows maybe it was because he was trying to start his rap career which is kind of abysmal if you ask me no offense I know Tyron Woodley could probably still kick my ass even though I outweigh him by maybe 30 or 40 pounds but uh, I'll just pull this up so that you guys can hear it yourselves Tyron Woodley rap. Hmm. This is Tyron Woody, Tyron Woodley, the money and the love. And you were naked too while you at it. Let's get back to the. Let's get to the song. This video has a minute of an intro, and it's only a three-minute video. So that's what he's been focusing on other than, you know, fighting in the UFC. And that's not something that's good when you're still a competitive, active fighter. It's not a good thing when you're focusing on making that kind of transition in your career. It's normally when you start to transition your way out of it. I don't think that he's looking to go on a run, honestly, um, to answer your question, Rev. He's 38 years old. He has a fight coming up against Gilbert Burns. I don't know really anything about Gilbert Burns. That's coming up on the 30th, so it's this Saturday. Gilbert Burns, Durkino, 18-3 record. 1986. So. Both these guys are a little bit older. Burns is four years younger than... Woodley, and he has a little bit better of a record, especially recently. Um, so, he's on a one, two, three, four, five fight win streak. That includes a unanimous decision, 
submission victory, two more unanimous decisions, and a KO from punches. And that was over Damian Maya, and that was in the first round. Um, so I would put, in this fight that's coming up, Woodley obviously always has a chance because he's got that freakish one-punch knockout power. I just don't want to see him go down like Johnny Hendricks did. Hendricks was a great fighter, but then he kind of tarnished his legacy by going a little bit too long. This one, if he looks the same as he did against Kamaro, not really into it in his headspace, I say that this should probably be the point where he starts to look at a career outside of the octagon. He already starting to do that. He's on UFC tonight. He's been an analyst for ESPN for the UFC before. So it's not like he doesn't have other options. He's just still a fighter at heart. He's been competing in com- combat sports, technically, if you want to count wrestling as a combat sport, probably since he was five years old. There's no shame in hanging it up at this point. He won the title, defended it one, two, three, four more times. So he's had a great career. I just don't see this being as dire of a straits. He shouldn't have to prove anything else to anybody. I think that he's done all he can do, and now it's time for him to get this fight, possibly end on a win, and then walk out. Nobody gets to be Henry Cejudo all that often and retire as the champ champ on uh, however many fight win streak that he was on. Henry Cejudo is also one of those outliers that was an Olympic gold medalist wrestler, then comes into the UFC and wins a belt in two divisions. Woodley, you know, going all the way back to Strike Force, did lose... He had a chance to fight for the Strike Force title and lost to Nate Marquardt. But then after that, in the UFC, he's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 1, 2, 3. He's 9-3-1 in the UFC. That's a hell of a run. There's a lot of people that would have given their left arm to be on that kind of a run and then, like I said, defend a belt that many times. Maybe it's just because I'm not sure of a fighter's mentality. I mean, I wrestled for a long time, but it wasn't my main thing that I did. If you really want to continue and, and continue down the road that we've seen so many fighters go down, um, then by all means, go ahead. Continue to be the gatekeeper for this division. I don't think you're ever going to get close to another title shot. Let's just look up the 170 pound rankings UFC 170 pound rankings Morrow's still the champion. Woodley's still the number one contender, technically. But if I see him fight Jorge Masvidal, that could be a problem. I think Covington could give him a problem because Covington and Usman fight the same way and can avoid those big shots. I think that he's moving more towards the, the way of a gatekeeper. And he's not big enough to say that you can just move up to 185 pounds. He's only 5'9 and has a 74-inch reach. He's small for a a welterweight. He's just able to deal with it because he's explosive and quick and has that great power. 
this is way, I think this is much more of a transition towards Gatekeeper or possibly transition out of the Octagon for Tyron Woodley. I don't see this being a, a place where he comes back and he has another title run in him. So I'm not saying that I don't like watching him fight. I'm not saying that he still can't fight if that's what he wants to do. But it's not going to be the same. It's just, he's trans. He's going more towards Cowboy Cerrone than he is going um, Randy Couture. Randy Couture won the championship late in his career. Uh, I don't see that happening for Tyron. I think he had as many title fights as he's going to have, and I think if he loses this fight, obviously it's a gatekeeper run. If he wins this fight, he's going to get another chance at Kamaro. I think Kamaro probably does the same thing in the second fight that he did in the first fight, possibly even finish him. Because now Kamaro's got that championship round experience. He's beaten the top guys in his division so far. And Colby Covington. I thought Colby Covington was going to give Kamaro a good fight. And I think Colby Covington's probably a better wrestler than Tyron Woodley at this point in their lives. And Covington didn't even come close to Kamaro Usman in that last fight. Yeah, it was a KO by punches in the fifth round, but it shouldn't have even gone to the fifth round. So that's uh, that's my thoughts on Tyron Woodley. Sorry if that's not the answer you were looking for, Rev. I'm sure we're probably on the same page with this because we were talking about Tyron, and you send me you're the one who sends me most of his rap videos on Twitter. So um, I'm gonna say a no to Tyron Woodley having another chance to make a run in the UFC. That's the uh, question and answer portion of the podcast. So next time, uh, I put it out on all my social medias. If you have a question or you have a topic that you want my opinion on, just go ahead and either answer it on my Instagram or Facebook story or just tweet at CUAPod73 or at Jimmy Pilato. Reply to the tweet that I put out. Um, I think I'm going to start doing this probably for the Thursday episodes. I have another idea for the Monday episodes. Thanks. Uh, Shout out to Zach for giving me the idea um he thought it'd be cool for me to find an espn 8 the ocho sport and if you don't understand the reference then you got to go see dodgeball but i'll find an obscure sport that's still competing and watch a match of that and break it down um and then i'll also do for the sports podcast i'll do half of the espn 8 and then i'm going to do half of just the regular sports breakdown this one had a lot of sports breakdown in it but that was just the questions that i was asked when i when i put out the topic question for this episode um i guess the final thoughts for this episode would be it's been a rough week um the job that i got i love doing it it is a little bit tougher work than i was expecting who would have known that produce is heavy and that i could hate strawberries for how much they weigh but i do um the problem that i had this week and the reason why this is all backed up is because i'm still trying to process the fact that one of my longest relationships and probably one of my closest relationships has come to an end and it came to an end in a way that I wasn't expecting. I'm not going to go into details because it's not fair to um, the other party to not be able to defend themselves, but it's a bad situation. Just because I was the one who kind of came up with the decision that I wanted to end that relationship doesn't mean that I'm still not hurting, but so... Yeah, I guess that's that's all I have to say about that. Wish that it didn't end the way that it did, but can't change anything that's in the past now. All we can do is keep moving forward.
like I said on the last podcast and in the uh, title of the last podcast is it's uh, tough times don't last but tough people do there's a lot of stuff going on in this world and a lot of things that are happening um, that are not the greatest I mean, look at that video coming out of Minneapolis the other day and the police inadvertently or advertently doesn't matter murdered another African American man who wasn't really resisting or anything like that um hopefully things get better i feel like we're close to dropping to the bottom and when you drop to the bottom all you can do is bounce back but we got to start trying to bounce back as a whole right away and we got to stop tolerating some of the bad things that have happened so far and just start trying to move to fix them can't can't always change your situation but you can change your reaction to the situation so I say we all do that. Let's pull together and get this thing moving in the better place. Um, but that'll be the end of this episode. Like I said at the beginning, follow us on Twitter at COAPod73, me at Jimmy Pilato. Um, follow my Instagram at Proud underscore WAP because I put out the questions and, and different things on that as well. Uh, if you listen to Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, rate the show five stars, and leave a review. I'm going to keep saying that until... Uh, we start getting more of those, but I appreciate everybody who's listened so far, whether it's all the episodes or a few of the episodes. I appreciate the feedback that I've been getting from people. Um, I'm going to keep doing this, going to keep trying to build this thing because I love doing it, trying to keep my broadcasting skills sharp as I continue to move forward. I don't want to be working in King Super's Produce for the rest of my life, so this is a way for me to continue to try and work towards my dream. And I'm not giving up anytime soon. So I hope you guys are with me for the long haul. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of Center of Attention. And we will see you back here on Monday. Her telephone rang about a quarter till nine. She heard his voice only other. What was wrong this time? She never knew what his cause might bring with a cowboy like him.